Good morning. Could I ask you to open to 1 Thessalonians? You'll find that if you're using the Black Pew Bible on page 1168, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. So we're we're celebrating uh, Palm Sunday. We're celebrating the the uh, Jesus ministry, the culmination of his ministry, really the focal point of his whole ministry there in the Passion Week and his his entrance into Jerusalem to bring all of these things uh, to a head. And uh, what we're looking at now is First Thessalonians chapter one. It's a letter from the Apostle Paul. It doesn't focus on the events of Jesus' ministry, but it focuses on the purpose of Jesus' ministry, what he came to accomplish. He came to call a people, to form a people who would be God's very own treasured possession. And uh, I think 1 Thessalonians 1 is a, a shining part of Scripture about when things were really going well. And it's thanksgiving from the Apostle Paul. And may we find encouragement and vision for what God would have us be uh, as a result of the work of Christ in our lives. Let's read together. So 1 Thessalonians 1 is page 1169 in the Black Pew Bible. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell us how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, be with us as we open your word. Speak to us through your word. Work in our lives. Conform us to the image of Christ. Do your great work your amazing work, the work of salvation. Do that work in us. Bring it forward one more step in our lives today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It was probably the proudest day of my life. You know, the the day I got my first bicycle. Uh, I don't know if if you remember, you know, moments like that, big occasions in your life. Um, you know, I had a tricycle, and uh, my friends, they had their kids' bicycles, you know, and they'd gotten over the training wheels, and, you know, they had all those things. But in our family, 
getting a bicycle was a rite of passage. You had to be 10 years old, you know, be in the fourth grade before you could get a bicycle. None of these kids' bicycles. You had to get a real grown-up bicycle. And uh, so we waited. At least, you know, when all my, my friends had, you know, their bicycles, at least I had a, a new larger tricycle. Um, but so finally the day came and, uh, you know, my dad took, took me out, you know, to, to go and buy the bike. And, of course, it was an event and other members of the family had to come along. And, and so, you know, I got to pick and look at this and the guy was showing us different bikes. And I, you know, settled on, you know, a red one, really, really nice, really liked it, got it home. I'll tell you what, you know, I really wanted to get that bike out and, and ride it. You go to sleep at night, you're just thinking about that bicycle. You're just thinking about it. You don't want to eat, you know, you want to get out there and ride the bicycle. No, no, it's time, time for bed. Um, you know, you don't get up in the morning after that and go out and uh, forget that you have a bicycle and go get on your trike. You know, when the first time you got a car... You didn't walk out of your house digging in your pocket for change for the bus. You know, you, you were focused on that new car of yours. And even though it left, you know, puddles of oil wherever it, it was parked and, you know, it, it had some problems, but you were still proud of it and you couldn't forget it. But there's a funny thing about us as Christians that we, we forget the best gifts that we have and we always go back to the old things. And uh, so this passage here in 1 Thessalonians, Paul is focusing on the wonderful, best gifts of God that he's given to his people. And he's thanking God for these things. And I think that this passage can help encourage us and remind us to keep the first things first and to keep the best things at the center and to set our priorities on the things that are really important in our lives and in our church. So 1 Thessalonians 1, it's, uh, you know, Paul writing to a church that uh, it is new. He's just, it seems that he's just been there and kind of got chased away. And he's writing back to them. He's gotten news that they're, that they're still standing in the faith. He's, he's gotten encouraging news from them. And so he sends this letter. And the first 10 verses, the first chapter, is all just thanksgiving. And so that's what we're going to look at today. And uh, just as you begin the first verse, that's just uh, the, a sort of standard boilerplate greeting. It tells who it's from. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, who it's to, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then this sort of standard greeting that we encounter in all the epistles. Grace and peace to you. What wonderful things those are. But I think verses 2 and 3, Paul really introduces the whole book and especially he introduces some themes that he, that he comes back to during his expression of thanksgiving in chapter 1. So will you look at verses 2 and 3 with me and just see what these themes are that Paul is, is going to focus on. He says, We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So there are three internal things, three gifts that God has given in the hearts of his people. 
And those three internal things result in three external visible things that Paul is seeing. And when, as he sees them, he's encouraged about them and excited and he's giving thanks. So the three internal things, your faith and the work that that produces, your work produced by faith and your love, the labor that you engage in and that, uh, that, la- that labor is produced by love. And then your hope, the hope that you have and uh, the hope that inspires endurance, that you hold on and you don't give up. So will you just look with me uh, at verses 4 and 5 and we'll look at the first of these great gifts of God, the greatest gifts of God. And uh, we'll look at this gift of faith. We want to admire God's greatest gifts. We want to focus on the best things that God has given us. And of course, they're, they're spiritual, they're internal gifts. And the first is this gift of faith. Let's admire God's gift of faith. Verses 4 and 5. <clears throat> and uh, I want us to see where this, uh, where this gift of faith comes from and what it's like and what its effects are. So here's what it says in verse 4 and 5. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. So first of all, where, do, where does this gift come from, this gift of faith? What's its origin? It's a gift from God. It comes from God. So what Paul did is he came to Thessalonica and he brought words. He brought a message. He talked. And you know, they used to make fun of Paul because he wasn't a trained speaker and he wasn't really terribly eloquent as a speaker. So he brought words in not the most impressive way. But what happened when Paul brought those words? Well, the result was that Paul looks at them in verse 4. He looks at the results and he says, you know, You people are loved by God and he has evidently chosen you. I can see that God from eternity has been planning a work in your life and he is carrying it out right now. There is something in your lives that comes from God. God has moved in your lives. And so Paul is encouraged because look what he says in verse 5. When... Our our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. So the power is not just, you know, battery power, gasoline power or something. It's the power of God. God is at work in their lives. And, And sort of to repeat that, power with the Holy Spirit. There's Holy Spirit power at work in their lives. And I think then all three of these things that he mentions, the power, the Holy Spirit, and the deep conviction, I think they're all, they all kind of go together into one big thing that he's pointing at with, with different phrases. It's faith, deep conviction, a deep-rooted conviction in their souls. God, by his power, worked in their souls and planted something deep that couldn't be pulled out easily. God gave them a gift of faith. And what an amazing gift it is. So where it comes from, its origin, 
It's a gift from God. Its nature, the nature of this gift, this faith, is it is a, it is a deep conviction of the truth. I have a friend, I, I get together with him, you know, once in a while, every couple of weeks, and, you know, we have coffee, we talk, and, uh, you know, he's, he's kind of new in the faith, and amazing story of how God worked in his life and called him to Christ, but amazing number of struggles that this guy deals with. And it's his family, and it's his extended family, and it's his job situation, and it's his health, and it's his faith, and, you know, there's so many things he's, he's struggling with. And uh, it's, it's amazing to see how he holds on. But then, uh, you know, he asks me questions. He asks me pointed questions. Well, what does the Bible say about this? And I'm so glad that I'm not on the receiving end of the kinds of things that I have to say to him. Because I have to give him some tough messages. You know, I know you're in financial difficulty, but you have to be honest with your money. You have to pay the taxes. You can't cut corners. You can't do stuff under the table. I know that your, your marriage is a struggle and it's suffering for you. And I know you're, you're full of doubts about it and that it's agony for you, but you've got to just continue to love your mate. And oh, it's, it's hard. It's hard. Yeah, 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 you're right. Oh, but, oh, but, but isn't there, isn't there... But you know, the, the thing that I appreciate is I, is I see in his life over the years, you know, God's working in his life. But what I see is that is he's like a dandelion. You know, you, you grab the dandelion, you start pulling, and you're really pulling, and then snap. The top comes off, but that root is so deep, is so strong, it's not going to come out. And he's got a faith that is implanted deep. He's got a deep conviction that the gospel is true. And it won't let go. And he has nowhere else to turn. And he hangs on to Christ. And, uh, and, and I see the changes in his life. And I see God working and, and blessing. And it's, it's just so encouraging. God gives a gift of faith. That's great. That's one of the greatest gifts. Let's, uh, let's hold on to that. And uh, notice its effects, that, that faith has an effect on people. That faith isn't just something that you have in your head, you have in your feelings, and uh, doesn't make any change in your life, but faith works. And so that's what Paul talked about when he first started this prayer back in verse 3, that he says he thanks God as he remembers before God your work produced by faith. So faith in Christ is not a dead faith, but it's a living faith. It's a faith that works. We're not saved by works. No, no, no. But there is no faith in Christ that doesn't work. So uh, what an amazing gift that, that God gives us. And let's treasure it. Let's admire it. Let's value it. You know, there's, just, there's no such thing as just another believer. There's no such thing as an ordinary Christian. A Christian is, is an amazing miracle. And a real Christian who really has faith in Christ That's an amazing thing that God has done, that he's stepped into the world and he has intervened in the course of events and changed a person's heart. It's it's something to be thankful for. There's no power like this 
you know, what a privilege we have to just speak the words of the gospel, to speak it to our friends, to our, to our family members, and to, to say the things of, of God, to, to remind them of what's written in the Bible, to read the Bible to ourselves and to others. It's just words. But God works through those words, and it's not just words. It's the presence of God. It's the word of God. Like God's word that created the universe, that spoke the world into being. And the word of the gospel just speaks new things into being in our lives. What a, what a precious thing it is to have the gospel and then to have God come and put faith in our hearts as we hear it. Are you just checking out the Christian faith? Are you here today with questions? Are you just wondering, you know, what do these folks believe? What's in the Bible? What's the gospel? What's Christianity about? Don't miss this one thing. That, that what we're about, what the Bible is about, is not just persuading you of something. It's not outward conformity to a certain pattern. But it's a change of heart. It's a miracle from God. It's something where God intervenes in a person's life and something new happens, something from heaven and uh, something, something wonderful. This is why, you know, we don't shut up. This is why we keep talking. You know, sorry that we're so like that, but we're excited about it and we want to tell you. Um, so let's admire God's gift of faith and let's admire God's gift of love. And uh, will you look with me at verses 6 and 7? So actually starting at the end of verse 5, Paul, uh, Paul talks about his, his life, his example, when he was there in Thessalonica, and he reminds them of his example. And, uh, and then he talks about a, another gift, another change that's happened in their lives. So starting at the end of verse 5, You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. So there's a new orientation. These people are no longer oriented to their own selfish interests, their own selfish desires. They're no longer just following their culture. They're no longer just following the patterns of life handed down from their forefathers. They're not just going along with the way that, you know, there's the idolatrous worship in the, in the temples, but they have a new orientation in their lives. Their lives are like a compass pointed in a new direction, a new, a new true north. And what it is, is imitating Paul and imitating Christ. So there's, there's the Apostle Paul, you know, this guy who would say, follow me as I follow Christ, 1 Corinthians 11. And he's there among them and he's following Christ. And they become imitators, he says in verse 6, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. So if only we could get people to be more like Jesus. You know, we'd love to do that. If people would, would set it as their ambition, just to follow the pattern of Jesus' life. I mean, the world would be changed. But how are you ever really going to make that happen?
But God makes it happen. And this is what happened. People fall in love with Jesus. They're, they're motivated by a new motivation that they love Christ and they love this messenger of Christ who embodies Christ for them and who gives them the picture of who Christ is and brings them the message of Christ. And so there's just this whole reorientation of their lives, a new love, a love for God in Christ. And then a new purpose. You have a whole new orientation in your life. You're born again. Things are changed. Everything's new. You have a new purpose in life. And their new purpose, he talks about it there in verse 7. You became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. In the whole area of northern Greece, the whole area of southern Greece, they're now a model. So just imagine, you know, the, these are, they haven't been Christians that long. Maybe it's been months. It isn't years. And they're already seeing themselves as having a responsibility to other people, to other Christians, to other churches. This is the way. This is the way we've got to be. This is, the, this is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to be a church together. Let's do it. What a calling. What a challenge. Can, can we be a model? Can we as Christians join together, love one another, believe together, and be a model that would be an encouragement to other believers? You know, a church can have... And a wide effect, much wider than, than an individual Christian usually is able to have. You know, across a broad geographical area. And uh, a church can also have an influence through generations. And uh, so what, what a privilege that we have, that we can be a model. And we can be models. You can be a model in your family, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, and people can look at you. You know, this is really humbling. You know, who, who is able to, you know, who's worthy of this? Who can be a model of Christ? But, uh, you know, thanks be to God. Our competency comes from God, not from ourselves. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. We have, we have a gift from God to enable us to be models of Christ. He is transforming us into the image of Christ. We're not just trying to imitate Christ, but God is transforming us through the Holy Spirit to be like Christ. And we, we're becoming models. But let's, uh, let's not just let that happen, but look, look, at, uh, look at how uh, these people do it. They're very intentional about it. See in verse 6, uh, you became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering, you welcome the message of the, uh, the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. So there's a there's an ability to push ahead despite suffering. And uh, back at the in the introduction, verse verse three, he calls this labor prompted by love. Love labors. So faith works. It doesn't sit, it doesn't just sit still. It results in action. But love labors. And the difference between work and labor is this. Work is doing something, and labor is doing it despite difficulty and trouble and resistance. Labor is when you keep at it. Labor is hard work. Labor is is pushing and carrying through. And when you love, you labor, and you don't get tired, and you don't give up. 
Um, and so this is what Paul is seeing in, in the Christians in Thessalonica, that they are laboring at being models, at being uh, examples, that they're working hard at it, and God blesses that work. In uh, Japan, you know, they're, they're going through all these terrible things. They have in Japanese culture a, a, uh, a cultural value, a traditional cultural value. I guess the word is gaman. And uh, it's the value of um, continuing to be honorable. You know, it's sort of their honor code. Continuing to be honorable, whatever the situation, whatever the circumstances. So they have, uh, you know, Japanese soldiers together with U.S. soldiers actually done a big, a big sweep to locate bodies and to recover dead bodies. You know, terrible work. And, uh, you know, the American soldiers are surprised because, you know, the Japanese soldiers, they find a body or, you know, a body turns up and when they, when they recover it, then they pause and they bow because you have to honor the dead. And so even in this, you know, this, this sort of horrible situation, they pause for honor. You know, there's, uh, you know, families that are homeless, that everything's lost, it's devast- they're just devastated by the, the destruction there. And someone brings them relief supplies, you know, bread, food and water, and it's not enough. And, of course, they receive it and they bow. And they are, they're very thankful because you have to be honorable in, in all circumstances, no matter what. You have to project honor. It's a wonderful thing. It bodes very well for the Japanese people. I think, you know, in some ways, our, our cultural value is the opposite. No matter how good it is, we can still complain. Um, but but what, what an amazing value uh, we have as Christians that, uh, that even in suffering, we, we, we not only you know, persevere and slog through and do what's honorable. But we have joy, joy given by the Holy Spirit. So we receive the good news with joy and uh, follow the example of our Lord who for the joy set before him endured the cross and uh, follow the example of Paul who found great joy in his ministry. Undaunted joy in our labor. So we work hard at being a model a model church, a model Christian, and we are filled with joy as we do. There's a, there's a book that we as a staff and you know, elders and ministry leaders we've been reading, uh, talking about. It's called The Trellis and the Vine. It's by uh, Colin Marshall. And uh, his, his, the book is about ministry. It's sort of really about church ministry and about some of the basic dynamics of church ministry, what's important. And so there are two parts of church ministry, the trellis and the vine. And uh, so a vine is a living thing. You know, it may bear fruit or beautiful flowers. It's the, it's the thing that you desire. And the trellis is something that exists for the purpose of the vine and to support the vine and to enable the vine. But a trellis is the support structure. Without the trellis, a vine, you know, can't stand up and it can't really be fruitful. So you've got to have both, right? And the amazing thing is that we tend to just get so focused on the trellis of ministry, Uh, you know, like building new buildings maybe. Uh, we We can naturally gravitate towards the bricks and mortar work, towards the number crunching, towards the organizational tasks, the vision tasks, the structural task. Um, you know, what needs to be done in, in this? What kind of programs do we need to have? 
And so that's sort of the, the underlying structure. And you have to have that in order to have a healthy vine. And so we want to develop the most beautiful trellis, the most amazing trellis. And, and we just pour our efforts into this trellis. And, uh, you know, there's really nothing beautiful about a trellis. And, uh, you know, people don't write poems about trellises. But what we really need to do is focus on the work of the vine, the living organism of the church. That is, believers related to believers. The, the real gifts, the, the, the greatest gifts of God in Christians' lives. And the way that you, that you help the vine grow. You know, we understand how to do trellis work. Yeah, you, um, you, know, you organize. You know, we've got all those skills. How do you do vine work? How do you do gospel work? What, what do you do to, to make the, the Christian life grow in people's lives? It's right here in this verse. Um, you became a model. It's modeling. It's sharing life on life. It's sharing our lives with other believers. And this is the pattern. It's very relational. So how did you learn to ride a bicycle? Did you read a book about it? Uh, I doubt it. I doubt that you did at all. You watched someone else do it, and then you had someone kind of holding you up and helping you along as you began to make some first efforts. And then, uh, you know, you went and did it yourself. How do they train medical personnel? They put them in classes. They teach them lots of stuff. And then do they give them a license and send them out? No. There's a whole process of watching, helping, and then doing it with help, and then doing it being watched, and then doing it. How do you teach airline pilots? They just go read a book about it? You get the point. So how do we cause gospel growth in the church? Life on life. So what a privilege to be involved sharing in people's lives. So we need all kinds of work to take place, you know, as we open a new building, as we hope to see lots more people coming, as, uh, you know, we have a bigger parking lot, it's easier to come and park here. We're going to invite our friends, you know, next Sunday for Easter. Invite your friends, bring them. We hope to hear the gospel. We hope that they'll hear words, and we hope that God will work in their lives. But how do we go from attendees to disciples of Christ? Life on life. And this is where you come in. And uh, so what a privilege we have to be able to be part of that. Let's not get so focused on the trellis that we forget about the vine. Um, So to admire God's gift of faith, admire God's gift of love, and lastly, let's admire God's gift of hope. Will you look with me at verses 8 through 10? And uh, we see that uh, this is a hope that overflows. It's a hope that just can't be contained. It has to uh, run over. So verse 8, 1 Thessalonians 1, 8. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Their, uh, their hope couldn't be contained. It just had to overflow. Uh, we marvel at a hope that, that just overflows. We marvel at a hope that we can taste. It's not just a hope that we hear about. It's not just pie in the sky, but we get a little bit of a taste of that pie right now. 
It's a hope that we get a foretaste of even in our lives. Look at verse 9. Um, now Paul goes to you know different places around the world. He's, he's preaching the gospel. He gets there. He starts talking about Jesus. And the people say, oh, we've heard about this. Yeah, you were the one who went to Thessalonica. Yeah, they've been here. They told us about it. And so here's what he says in verse 9. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. They have, uh, they have a hope that they can taste because they don't just serve statues of stone, but they serve the living God, the God who sends his spirit among us, the God who brings renewal in our lives. So we're hoping for one day when we will experience God's presence face to face. But even now, we're not left alone as orphans, but he comes to us in the Holy Spirit and we experience the presence of God. What a wonderful thing. We have a living hope. We have a living God and he's alive and he is working in our lives. So this is why, you know, the Bible says that when you come to Christ in 1 Peter, it says you're born again. That's why John says, uh, Jesus says in the Gospel of John chapter 3, you can't see the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again because we have a living hope. And so the Bible calls this the down payment of the Spirit. It's a foretaste of heaven. We already are experiencing our hope. But this isn't all. It will be fulfilled. Look at verse 10. So we've turned to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath, of come, from the wrath to come. So we marvel at a hope that overflows. We marvel at a hope that we can taste. And we marvel that God will soon fulfill this hope. And so we have an, uh, an eager anticipation and confidence that God is, is going to be fulfilling this hope sometime soon. I, uh, I had a... The, the, our, our third time back to East Africa... We got on the plane, you know, took a limousine down to the airport, waited in the lounge, got onto the jet. We flew. Finally, we landed over in, in, uh, in Nairobi, uh, re- recovered our vehicle. We, we got in our car. We drove back to our home. You know, we had a, a stone house with an iron roof. You know, it was pretty nice for Africa. It's not like a grass hut or anything. Was, we, were, we were comfortable. We were, and this was what, what was home for us. We're back in our place in Meru, Kenya. And like uh, the next day, I had to go with a, a pastor friend of mine to visit some new believers. He was really excited to introduce me to these folks. And so we, we, we climb in my car. We go driving. It's night. And it's, you know, we, we have four seasons in Kenya. Mud, dust, mud, and dust. And so this was the mud season. And uh, so we're riding down the road, you know, it's got the high crown in the middle and, you're, you know, you're kind of going off to this side and then you're steering, you're trying to stay in the middle of the road. And finally, you know, we drop the car in a ditch somewhere, we climb out and uh, we're trying to walk to their, to their house. You know, it's sort of a row of these little wooden, uh, you know, kind of really shacks, you know, with 
They had cement floors at least. And uh, so we're sliding along in the mud, trying not to fall. And uh, so we finally get to the house. We open the door. And uh, the only light in there is kerosene, you know, a kerosene lamp shining on the faces of people filled with joy, smiling, glad, happy, singing, rejoicing in the Lord. You know, they had a hope that was more precious than, you know, than any nice things. They had the real gifts, the good gifts, the best gifts that come from God. And uh, one fellow in there, is, his name was Richard Mina. He and his two brothers were there and uh, <clears throat> got to know Richard. And uh, he was just so excited about how Christ had touched his life. He had heard the gospel being preached actually in the open air. And he came and he, he listened and it, it touched his life and he, he changed. He was a new man. So now he's struggling, you know, trying to make ends meet, trying to support his family, you know, to pull everything together and, uh, you know, pull his life together. But he is on fire to be a model for Christ. He's on fire to follow the Lord and to make the Lord known. He's just a new Christian, just like these Thessalonians. So I had the privilege of uh, spending time with Richard uh, over the, the following couple years and uh, to see him continue to grow in his faith and to learn to do ministry. And uh, it, was, it was so encouraging just to watch him go. Went back there. I'm, ta- I'm talking about 1994. Went back there in, 1990, uh, in 2009 with my wife. We went to visit Meru, and I saw Richard. And uh, so he, he comes and he says, oh, you remember me? And uh, he talked about how he's a pastor now and what church he's working in, and he's all proud of, of the ministry he's doing. So encouraging that God works in people's lives. Things that are, that are more precious than you know, all the stuff that we usually hang on to. I don't know if he had you know, a very good church building. I don't know if they had very good programs. You know, I don't know what kind of structures they had or, or you know, business acumen. I don't even know if they kept their books straight. But, uh, you know, they had the things that really count. It's so encouraging to see that. Let's keep our priorities straight. Is there anything better than sharing the word? You know, there there are lots of things to do. There's so many needs, and we need them all. But, you know, let's say that the need is uh, parking attendance. We've got to have someone out there, you know, to help people when they drive up, to greet them, to welcome them. But it's more than just organizing the parking lot. But it's about modeling the love of Christ. And it's about person to person, heart to heart. It's about love. And it's about planting the word of God and seeing hope grow in people's lives. Let's keep our priorities straight. Let's be a church that embodies the gospel. That we live it out so that we can see it, so that others can see it. A multimedia experience. Right here, a human multimedia experience. You know, sight, smell, touch, the whole thing. And, uh, you know, let's be a a church. Let's be the presence of Christ as we love one another and as we live out the gospel. What a vision. What an encouraging thing. Uh, But it's going to take labor. It's going to take work. Non-Christian, do you see what we're calling you to? Do you see what we're pointing you to? Do you see what the Word of God holds out to you? It's not just a, uh, it's not just a sales gimmick, but it's a, it's a life, and it's a real 
uh, a real gift from God, the greatest gift you could ever receive. That's why we're so excited about it. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for gifts that go beyond what we could have expected, beyond what we could have hoped for or asked for. We thank you that you work in our hearts, that you transform us at the roots of our being and make us new people. Father, we thank you that this miracle takes place when we just speak words, when we just read words. So give us ears to hear. Give us hearts that understand. And Father, visit us. Work in our lives. Transform us. Renew us. Make us like Christ as we seek to imitate him and model him for others. In Jesus' name, amen.